for the week of December 18th, 2022. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 602, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. You giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. Let's go at the North Pole. I'm Michael Giltz. It's our Christmas show. Everybody looks forward to this every year. We don our Christmas sweaters. We sing carols. We drink eggnog and mulled cider. It's a, oh, look, Bing Crosby's at the door. He wants to come in and sing a song. Sure, Bing, come on in. I have none of those things. No Bing Crosby, no, no egg, whatever you called it. Uh, no, bah. bah, humbug. Have you finished your <laughs> holiday shopping? And happy Hanukkah. We uh, started no. and, you know, Hanukkah has begun. Yes. Wait, you're supposed to buy presents for people? Uh, no, don't worry about it. Gift cards for everybody. Uh, yes, so it's a holiday week. We're recording the week before Christmas. We believe there will be a show between Christmas and New Year's. We're planning for one. It looks like everything will be on target for that. And then I take off for South Africa. And I think we'll be able to do a show from there as well. But we'll see how it all plays out. But next week, we should have a show. Sperling looks like he's good to go. But, mm, you know, I hate to mention Sperling in the show because when we mention something on the show, it gets canceled. Last week, I jokingly referenced the TV series Warrior Nun. Never heard of it. I thought, who can resist this show? Two minutes later, after the show was recorded, boom, Warrior Nun is canceled. So, sorry about that. And some cleanup from last week and the week before. I didn't understand what exactly had gone wrong with the Bad Bunny concert. Uh, some people said it was wildly oversold, which seems impossible because, you know, you're not going to sell 180,000 tickets when you're Ticketmaster to a 90,000-seat venue. That seems bizarre unless there was some massive computer screw-up in which case they should say, yes, there was a massive screw-up. But there were all these counterfeit tickets, but people said they bought genuine tickets. Well, it turns out what was going on was they were flooded with tons of counterfeit tickets, and the scanning machines at the venue were malfunctioning. So once they started to reject all these counterfeit tickets, they got screwed up and started to reject legitimate tickets. What a nightmare. Bad Bunny takes to the stage, and the floor area was half empty even though there were tens of thousands of people outside with legitimate tickets trying to get in. Ticketmaster says there was no overselling. We screwed up in an entirely different manner. <laughs> so, so don't blame us for that. <laughs> yeah. We did something that completely wrong, but it wasn't that. So what a, what a disaster. Come- I'm not rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. If anything, I'm rearranging them on the Hindenburg. How dare I'm you? Soaring. How dare you suggest we oversold? <laughs> we screwed up in another way. All right, so coming on top of the Taylor Swift fiasco, this is a big, big problem. But again, there's no real competition, so what's going to happen? Not much. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, I was at a screening of RRR. Have you seen this movie? I have not. I'm sure it's fun. I wanted to see it on the big screen, but that didn't happen. So I actually saw it on the big screen. Uh, It is... What a trip that movie is. It's, it's an Indian film, one of the highest budgeted Indian films of all time. And highest grossing. And it's, one of the highest and now grossing. highest grossing. Yeah. Um, and boy, oh boy, uh, you should definitely get a chance to see it on the big screen. I watched, I rewatched the opening mm-hmm. segments. Yeah, because it's on Netflix. On Netflix. Right, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's okay, but certainly having that booming, that booming, the, the booming music and the booming sound of, wow, it's pretty remarkable yeah. to see it uh, projected properly. Yeah, if you've never seen a, 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 a Bollywood musical on a big screen, this is a good chance. Well, it's actually only on Netflix now, but if you've never been exposed to Bollywood at all, this is it. You got your big dance numbers. You got your big spectacle. It's over the top. It's, you know, it's fun. Uh, whatever its flaws are, it's certainly typical of the genre. 
Well, I would say it's not typical in the amount of action and special effects and the fact that it's in Telugu, which means it's a Tollywood movie, not a Bollywood movie. Oh, but it's uh, in the Bollywood vein, but you're right. Thank you for pointing that yes. out because that is an important distinction. I apologize to the Telugu people. Uh, it's Telugu, not Telugu. Okay. And um, Okay. Uh, I, I didn't know. Sure. You, you, I'm going to go with yes to both of those. I have no idea. Oh, well, you said it one way, so I wondered if you knew something I didn't. I guess not. <laughs> We're both no, screwing it no. up. But it's a, there's healthy industries all over uh, India, not just coming out of Bombay and the Bollywood uh, area. Um, but yes, it doesn't matter to me whether it's Hindu or Telugu or some other language because I'm reading the English subtitles. That's true. Now, the reason I mentioned that is uh, I was uh, buttonholed, if you will, uh, there uh, regarding the Taylor Swift news that we covered. Ah. They, they heard us talking about it and they said, you know, it's really Taylor Swift's fault because you know, every other artist knows not to put their entire world tour on sale at once. You don't put like, you know, all dates, all shows together at 10 a.m. or 7, 7 a.m., you know, space it out. you do it, you space it out. You do that on purpose. And so when Taylor Swift wanted to do that, you know, Ticketmaster was like, I think we can handle well, but it. She said the- she went to them 20 times. Are you sure? So to be fair to her, she did say that they went. So that was the issue when she said, are you sure? It was about putting all the tickets on sale at the same time. So that's interesting because that makes that yeah, conversation and I think make that more sense. You know. Yeah, I think that there's what they're trying to say is, yeah, they st- Ticketmaster doesn't want to come up and say, hey, we said we think we could do it in the following. Like, they don't want to basically make Taylor Swift look bad because somehow she always comes out on top. But, so but they like, could whatever. have said no at the time, and clearly they didn't. They could say, that's too much. Yes, we can't correct. handle that. So it's still on them. So they still look bad. But that's interesting. That helps explain that a little bit better. Uh, so there you go. That's, you know, if you've got info well, to share. Well, the, the thinking was... Mm-hmm. The thinking was there that because of the fan sale, like the on sale, right, it'll be protected, well, right? It, it'll be on, yeah. It'll be somewhat. They didn't expect the fact that like everybody, even the people that didn't have codes, would try and get in no matter what. Right, I don't get that. that I still fun. don't get that. Why a bots would even bother? But who knows? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a, the fun stuff we talked about last week. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are wondering where pretty much everybody has gone. I mean, I think maybe Ticketmaster didn't sell them tickets for our show or uh, we're still delivering podcasts, but everyone else seems to be on like early holidays. The publishing houses are all hosting parties and putting do not disturb signs on their emails and obviously not inviting us, by the way. Broadway is quiet until Nathan Lane and Zoe Wanamaker open a new play January 10th. All the big music albums have been released. It's just so darn quiet. So, Michael, what, what do you say, like an 80-minute podcast instead of, a, you know, a Bollywood-sized podcast? <laughs> I, I'm just wondering how long you'll go before you'll say, shut up. <laughs> oh, what? You mean singing? You're singing? Yeah. Your, your concert? Yes. Uh, well, before, before we get to any other news, we've got worldwide box office and a massive opening for Avatar The Way of Water that some found underwhelming. So we'll discuss that. Why is it underwhelming? On Inside Baseball, we'll take a deep dive into the Michigas at Warner Brothers Discovery. I've got some thoughts. I'm sure Michael has some thoughts. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, as I mentioned, we're going to turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz, who's going to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. We're looking at box office around the world. And the only movie opening around the world, the only movie playing is Avatar The Way of Water. 
Okay, not exactly true, but it opened to $442 million worldwide. In a titch of good news, that international bump was kicked up another $5 million this morning. So instead of continually downgrading how it was doing, it actually went up a little bit. So $442 million opening worldwide. Not the biggest of all time, not even as big as Doctor Strange, but an excellent opening. Wait, I, I thought Doctor Strange was $442 million. Oh, did they bump? Did they tie now with that? Oh, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was $442 million. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Well, um, We'll cover the other movies first very quickly because all the info and all the news is about Avatar, The Way of Water, which I saw. But right behind that, from $442 million worldwide to $18 million worldwide is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That's at just under $800 million. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to have any more legs. We'll have to see how it does. Violent Night, the pretty cheap horror flick, that's tripled its budget now, made $13 million this week. It's certainly going to pass $60 million worldwide, and it cost a surprisingly high $20 million budget. That seems a little high for a movie starring David Harbour. No apologies to David, but I doubt he got $5 million. So I'm not sure about that, but I am sure that Strange World, also at about $60 million worldwide, is a verified commercial flop. We'll have to see if it finds new life on streaming. The Menu Chugs Along, that's just below $60 million worldwide. That should get there by the end of next week. That should play well through the holidays. And Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Antonio Banderas' film, while he's opening in Madrid in a stage production of Company, he's having a good year. After that heart attack that sidelined him for a while, he's back on top. And Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, is at $14 million worldwide. Matilda the Musical is the Netflix co-production that's opened in the the UK, or I should say, yes, the UK and Ireland only. That's at $16 million. Uh, and then we have a few other films. The Night Owl in Korea chugs along at $9 million. Uh, the, uh, at $20 million, I should say. The Fablemans from Spielberg is still in small uh, release. It's hoping to go wider with Oscar nominations and hoping it can capitalize on that. But it's still, you know, bringing in some audiences. And a uh, couple new movies. Two. First, Mechamato movie. This is an animated movie. It's from Malaysia, and it's a prequel to Mechamato, the TV series. Now, the movie was supposed to come out first, but somehow with, amidst all the production, the movie was more elaborate and COVID screwed everything up. So the TV show has been released around the world, including in Cartoon Network here in the North America. And Mechamato movie has now come out after the show, even though it's supposed to shut the show up. But it's a Malaysian film. Maybe it cost about $2 million to make. It's at $4 million worldwide. We missed the opening last week. But cool to see Malaysia producing their own animated fare and launching a series worldwide. And we'll see how the prequel does. And the other interesting movie is a sequel. Russia could use a laugh right now, I imagine. It's the Russian comedy Nipposlushnik 2. In English, that's like naughty or disobedient. It's about a YouTube prankster. And the first movie came out in February. And now the sequel has come out where he's doing more pranks. And uh, it's in Russia. And it opened uh, this week with about a million dollars at the box office. Not a ton of box office. And it's the only game in town in terms of Original content, I think. So it had the box office pretty much to itself. Uh, so those are two. You know, uh, you always fault me for not mentioning uh, some of the stuff we do on. on uh, oh, please. Silly Lord Junkie. And this week we had a story about how there are some theater operators that are discussing showing 
Avatar 2. The, the as soon water. as they get a, a black market copy, yeah, because there's a book. Correct. Out. Yeah, no, they're like, well, well, we need a high quality copy. You know, we can't, we can't just, uh, you know, the, the camcorder copies are okay, <laughs> but we're really looking for the, for the really like, you know, black market, co- they're, and they're being completely open about it to the point where they are actually discussing legislation where they will have what is called compulsory licensing, meaning that they'll just say, no, we, we don't have to comply with the copyright. We'll just, we'll save some money for you, but we will give you, uh, you know, we'll just take the film. My, my, answer, we'll give you- my answer is no, but, but my question is, will this have an effect long-term? Will studios say, hey, we're not going to release, once the war is over and boycotts have ended, will they say, you know what, we're not giving you movies because we don't trust you anymore? Or are they just going to say, we're really upset you did that, but here's our new movie. I think it's one of those, like, we're really upset that you did that. We're holding our next one big blockbuster from you. But then after that, we're going to be fine. Right. You know, they'll like, Don't. they'll slap their wrists. Yeah. But, you know, actually, so I, I, what I started to do when I was editing the piece, uh, I, I looked up, like, are they even advertising this? Are these right. are there, are there, are there ads in the paper? <laughs> well, no. I mean, are they, is it on their website? Mm-hmm. You know, can you buy tickets ahead of time? And on Wednesday of last week, no, you could not. And on Sunday, uh, no, you could not. But you know what you could buy on Sunday? You could buy, I guess they got a copy of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, because now you can go and they're like, yeah, we're showing it on uh, on Sunday. There's three showtimes left. It didn't take long like, to get a are black market serious? copy, right? That's just it. It's out and boom. It's out Thursday night worldwide or Thursday morning. And pretty much a day or two later, they had a copy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, so Black Panther Wakanda Forever is showing, and maybe they're not they're not uh, putting up Avatar yet, but uh, I know that for a while, uh, the exhibitors and the producers, the distributors were saying, please don't put Avatar out in theaters here in Russia until after the holidays. We want our own homegrown content to do well. <laughs> put, it, put it out on January 12th. We want Neposlushnik to, sh- to have a chance. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Disney was like, "Hey, you know, uh, don't put it out at all since you're not allowed to." And <laughs> how about that? <laughs> how about that? Well, I yeah, had a question uh, for you, and I don't know if you have the answer yet. I'm guessing not because you wouldn't have gotten a response. But over the weekend, when I went to my AMC app to book a ticket for Avatar: The Way of Water, I found strangely enough that it was like the eighth film listed, either in new releases or when I went to a specific theater to say, okay, what's playing at my local theater? I want to go see it here. And I know they have a genuine IMAX screen. I went there. Instead of being the top movie listed as it normally would be, it's their big IMAX 3D movie. It's the new release. Again, even on the listings for an individual theater, it was listed seventh, eighth, or ninth in the listings. Right. Way past I saw the same thing. Right. And we're trying to figure out why I understand you want me people to look, maybe say, oh, there are other movies playing, but normally they don't do that. Normally the big new movie is listed at the top. So interesting ploy yeah, by AMC. I, I saw the same thing mm-hmm. and I do not know why. Right. So we're going to try no to find idea. out from AMC why that is. We might also ask them, hey, what's with the Visa card? Yes, they have a, a Visa card now. Now, they did say, look, we're going to expand into other revenue streams. We're going to sell our popcorn at different, uh, you know, retail. We're going to sell it in malls and in our own, you know, uh, stores. Uh, and they're, they're working on that. I think that's gonna, going to uh, come to fruition next year. And they have this co-branded credit card, the way some airlines uh, co-brand credit cards with, with different, you know, Visa or MasterCard and different banks. They'll go to a bank like Barclays or Citibank and they'll say, hey, let's do a co-branded credit card. And, you know, for every dollar spent, they'll get a mile 
on our uh, on our airline, mm-hmm. uh, that then becomes a liability, of course, because they then own well, whatever. Those. People, companies have been doing yeah. this for, but they decades. make a lot of money from it. Companies have done this for decades, so the accounting and the liability yes. is no big deal. It's just you know, yes, it's a liability. We got to give you popcorn. Guess what? It costs four cents. So, you know, they're going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. But well, and that might be why people have never done this before, because it's like I could get a free airplane trip or I could get a free Coca-Cola. Well, given how I much it costs, with the airplane trip. I don't know, given how much it costs and I eat popcorn more than I go on a plane. So I don't know. I went to see Avatar 3D IMAX because he shot it in IMAX and he made it to be seen in 3D. So I want to see the way the filmmaker intends it to be seen. Uh, so I'm willing to do IMAX in 3D. Most of the time, you should not spend that money for IMAX and certainly not 3D unless the movie is shot specifically to only be seen in that style. Even if it's available 2D, the filmmaker says, no, 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 you want to see this in 3D. That's the case with Avatar. So I sucked it up. $20 for my ticket. Okay. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. Then I went to get a, I normally buy a kitty pack, but because it's a, seriously, because it's a decent normal amount of popcorn and it's a small soda and it's all I need, but this is a three and a half hour movie. I said, oh, I better get a, so I ordered a small popcorn and a small soda. That's it. Small pop, $16, $16, $36 to see a movie. Well, why do you think, you know, there's all this talk about, oh, specialty, the specialty market, which is another way of saying art house films. Right. It's dead. Those films don't work at all in theaters anymore, to which I would say, no, she said doesn't work in movie theaters anymore. It, you know, nobody wants to see the headlines. I do. I want to see art films. And I went to see the menu in a theater. I might go see she said the particular that, movie. The didn't menu work, is actually considered that, a success. It is a very, well, it is now it's tripled its budget, yeah. reported budget. But what's that got to do with this price of popcorn? My point is you want to encourage oh, repeat, that you want to gonna, encourage repeat viewing and repeat attendance of people going to your theaters every month don't charge 50 percent mark you know 50 times markup on the 30 cents on soda and the 30 cents on popcorn that it costs you to make well the the comment there is that uh you know when you are when you're looking at hiring a you know specialty films are seen by by adults mostly, right? They're not seen. I by understand, teenagers. and they don't buy as much popcorn and soda. I'm just asking why they're charging sixteen dollars for popcorn and soda for the smallest available size. That well, seems like a lot of money, yeah. right? But that's it's not upselling. It's the min- the least I can buy. It's the smallest amount. Upselling and say, hey, fifty cents more, you can get a medium. That's upselling. This is the minimal amount of without saying, I'd like a kitty pack, please which they pat you on the head. This is the smallest amount you can spend on a small popcorn and small soda at AMC in middle America. And I, this is, we have this debate all the time, but they're charging too damn much money. They're trying to make up profits by charging more and more for soda and popcorn. I wouldn't bring my kids, three kids to see a movie. Dear God, we'd go broke. Well, right. So the, and would you, you know, hire a babysitter and, and go out to see Tar, where they show you the first ten minutes of is credits in that movie. Uh, you know, it's like well, there's nothing wrong with Tar. I Tar's like Tar. I, I, didn't I know like, you I didn't. didn't like Tar, but there's nothing wrong with Tar. There's not ten minutes of credits. It's just a movie, but that's got nothing to do with the price of concessions. I'm talking about strictly AMC choosing to charge $16 for popcorn, which is dirt cheap to make, and soda, which costs more for the cup than it does for the soda itself. I, I have no 
no right. This uh, is this they can't, data to, they to prove this. that the cup costs less. No, no, no. The cup <laughs> so. abso- absolutely. The soda is cheaper to make than the cup. That's all. Everybody knows that. That's why they keep track of it by the amount of cups they use, not the amount of soda, because the soda is minimal cost. Obviously, Coca Cola charges them money, but it's nowhere near. They don't need to charge eight dollars for a small Coke. Nor does it need to be the size of a tankard. Anyway, it's the oldest complaint in the book, but it's just as true as ever. $16 for the smallest amount of soda and popcorn you can get without pretending you're seven years old is ridiculous. That's more than it would be if I bought a regular movie ticket. The popcorn and soda cost more than a regular ticket. This was a 3D IMAX ticket. That's the only reason it was $20. Normally, you spend more on the soda and popcorn. This is just, they're killing themselves. It's ridiculous, but I guess you don't see well, it that way. Well, let me ask you this. You may not have enjoyed the price of the popcorn and soda, but did you enjoy Avatar, The Way of Water? I don't know why I'm giving it the Spider-Man. Well, I just treatment, wanted but... to see it for the uh, effects. I had no interest in the movie. <laughs> I didn't like the first film. I certainly didn't like this one. Um, it was, if anything, worse, but that's a, a, you're really splitting hairs there. It's certainly not significantly worse. It's just as dumb and, and simple-minded as the first movie. You'll certainly walk away being anti-whaling. You're really going to be opposed to whaling after you see this movie. Truly, <laughs> so there's about a half an hour about whaling, essentially, and how bad it is. <laughs> so it's, and it's also, you know, you're anti-Vietnam War, you know, because they have yeah. all sorts of things. But, uh, you know, it's just as banal as the first one. Uh, it, it wasn't good. The effects were interesting. I thought he did uh, the 3D effect was well done. I don't care about it as such, but yes, there it was. It was a 3D effect done properly, and that was okay. I did not feel it was a magical experience where I don't want to see movies any other way, but if they're going to do it, I'm glad they did it very well and with purpose and intent. It was, you know, it was effective, and I thought the use of high frame rate in certain scenes did work very well. I didn't get that because it's on an imaginary planet. Uh, it did not have that weird effect that you have. You know, it's so all digital that the photorealistic stuff of the high frame rate isn't bothersome here and they don't use it all the time only in certain moments where they know they don't have to move the camera a lot so it wasn't an action scene when they used that high frame rate and i could tell sometimes when it was going on i was kind of aware of it because i was looking for it but it was seamless and it worked fine for those specific reasons they weren't moving the camera a lot it wasn't an action scene and it's set on pandora not manhattan if it was in manhattan i think i would hate it just as much as i have in other movies but uh, i thought it was effective i can't imagine this movie doing substantially worse than the first one if you like the first one you should enjoy this one you certainly get your full value for the dollar of the ticket price right yeah, well, the pro- part of the problem is that, uh, you know, it, the first one was 13 years ago, and there's a bunch of, you know, 18-year-olds who were like, I don't care about this movie. That's what they said about Top Gun Maverick. The early, the early scores were like, young people were like, oh, I don't care about this movie, but it became a phenomenon. And then they all went to see it. I, I feel twice. just like the first one, which was a slow burn. It didn't open to five gazillion dollars, but it played and played and played. I think, like you said, your family was planning to go next week, you know, this week. They weren't, yes. they didn't try to go on opening weekend because if you're going to see it, you want to see it in IMAX 3D or at least 3D. And so you're going to spend the right. money and time and want to see it in the big theater. You're not going to want to see it in 2D in a small theater. And so it's like a road show, like you would have in the old days where they play and play and play, like the sound of music would play for six months in the big screen. So, and you'd get a program. So this avatar is like that. People are going to spend the money to see it right on the big screen and they know the difference. They know what's going on. Even in the faux IMAX, they feel like is better than seeing it on a regular screen. So they're just going to wait and see it when they want to see it over the next few weeks. And presumably the theater 
theaters are going to keep it on IMAX for months to come because there's no big movie that should Bigfoot it out of IMAX. It's not like it has an no. IMAX for two weeks and it has to go away. So no, there's not, not that limited it's, it's, time it's, frame. There's a clear run between now and February. At least. And What's in February? That's yeah. going to kick it off the screen. February is just a little I, I can't film. remember. Yeah, but it's not a big movie. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a... Uh, uh, I looked it up in February when we were talking about the movies at the time. Oh, t- it's it's the um, M. Night Shyamalan movie. Right, that's the, that's uh, not an IMAX movie as such. I mean, I suppose they want uh, IMAX screens know. to charge money, but, you know, I, I can't... Im- well, 66% of the mm-hmm. of the film, uh, the, the gross, the $442 million now, uh, it, it came from 3D, 4D... IMAX, mm-hmm. so... Well, yeah, if you're going to see it, you want to see it in IMAX. This is clearly a movie where... You know, I think in the first one, it was up to like 80%, 90% at some point, at one point, maybe early on. If you saw it, you saw it in 3D because they told you a hundred times, right. you don't want to see it in two days. There's no point. <laughs> so uh, I think it's like Titanic and like Avatar, the original, this one will have legs. I can't see any reason why it wouldn't. There's action, there's violence, there's family. Uh, you know, it's Pandora. The special effects are cool, I suppose. Tech, I'm putting finger quotes around that. They're effective. So I don't see any reason. You heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. I don't Michael's th- ringing endorsement. Yeah, no. Well, I didn't like. <laughs> I the guess f- you got to see it. <laughs> I didn't like the first one. I don't recommend it. But if you like the first one, enjoy. You know. So the movie opens slower. Four hundred and forty-two million dollars, and people are like, "Well, that's not very good." <laughs> now, one big problem was China, right? Well, China, of course, is open now, uh, and so I think eighty <coughs> percent of these screens are open now. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is. Two, twofold. One, uh, if somebody, you know, you, to, to do anything, you have to scan your, you know, QR code. So if somebody comes back and says, oh, I, I got COVID, they go, okay, everybody that was in that movie theater at that time, go get them and round them up. Well, do you want to be that person? No. So you don't want to go hanging out inside an enclosed environment. And there's a big all- spike in, in cases, of course. Oh, because- by the way, yeah. and people are getting COVID. Right. So, yeah. So hopefully, God willing, there's enough of uh, vaccinations that are effective. Uh, I think they use different vaccinations than we have in North America. Um, I don't think they're quite as effective, but I think they're decently effective and hopefully everybody there will be okay and they can handle the capacity at the hospitals. So we don't want to focus on the movie rather than people dying. But the fact is they were hoping to get $300 million out of uh, Avatar in China because the first one was hugely popular and they anticipated this one would be as well. It opened to $57 million. They thought there was a lot more demand than that. We don't know where it's going to tap out because if people are afraid to go back out to the theater and they're like, it's not worth it, that could keep it, you know, $100 million rather than $300 million or more. You know, the chance for it becoming a phenomenon and playing for months is perhaps less because of what's going on there. So we'll have to see where that ends up. But basically, it opened fine. It opened very strongly, but not as big as, uh, I mean, like you said earlier in the week when the, when the predictions were a little lower, wow, this makes Doctor Strange look great. It does. Yeah, because Doctor Strange really opened does. even bigger uh, in North America and worldwide, and it's not the sequel to the biggest movie of all time. Uh, a lot of those Marvel and movies... And it didn't have 3D pushing up the ticket prices. Well, now, yeah, I wouldn't say it's pushing up the ticket prices like they're cheating. If you're, if you're willing to pay $20 to see a movie, that's, that's fine. That's not cheating. Just like the Roadshow Productions, when you went to see The Sound of Music back in the day, or My Fair Lady, or Lawrence of Arabia, you paid a premium ticket price. There was no 3D. 
but you got a reserve seat. You got a pamp, a book, a booklet that you could take home with you. So there were little things to make you feel like you got your money's worth. And there was an intermission, which maybe Avatar could use. No, it doesn't need an intermission, actually. But that's not cheating. That's just, we have a movie you really want to see, and we're willing to charge more. Now, you know I don't like variable pricing. I don't like, oh, this is a big movie. We should charge more. I don't like that, in, ge- I don't like that in general yeah. for movies. I think it's a bad sl- idea and a slippery slope. But when you've got a special movie like this, and they want to see it with all the gizmos, if, they're willing to, if they need to spend 20 bucks to see it in 3D and IMAX, well, then okay. That's, that's not cheating. You know, if Doctor Strange, I'm sure it was on 3D. It just wasn't that much of an important thing. I'm not saying that it was cheating. What I'm saying is when you look at the levels, right? First of all, Sl- uh, slightly fewer ticket the, sales because they get to charge y- more yes. per ticket. Yeah. And, and of course it's a three hour movie. Uh, speaking of intermissions, which, which means it means more impressive. Yes. All right. Wow. Well, well, uh, so RRR intermissions. So here we are watching RRR. We're at least a good hour and a half and maybe even two hours into the movie. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh man, this is a really good. This is a, this is a great ending. This is fantastic. <laughs> and all of a sudden, though, the credits come rolling in with big thunderous music, and I'm like, oh right, wow, that was a pretty good. Wait, what intermission? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so uh, there was one other comment to make. What was it? Uh, it's a big movie. Oh well, it won't rescue this year's box office, but it looks like the box office will be at about twenty five. billion roughly for this year, 2022. And Gower Street, which is one globally, of the, globally, globally, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. North America's peak was like eleven billion dollars. Our our viewers are sophisticated enough to know that. Um, and I did say global box office, I thought, but anyway, Gower Street is the an- analyst making these predictions. They're vaunted for their annual predictions of box office. They say that's up twenty one percent over last year, and they think we're going to go another twelve percent in twenty twenty three. They don't see. Happy days are here again, but it's growing, and they think we're going to hit about $29 billion in 2023. There's a lot of big movies coming out, but that's what they predict. Everybody seems to say in 2024 is when we'll have a full, steady stream of movies. Hopefully no earthquakes or Godzilla won't ravage the box office of Japan, and things will be slightly back to normal. Maybe war will be over. Maybe COVID will be down to a regular annual nuisance rather than a worldwide pandemic. And they're hoping that in 2024, we'll be back to normal. That's like over $40 billion. So we grew 21% this year. We're hoping to grow 12% next year. To hit about $40 billion, we'd have to grow another 30% in 2024. That's a big jump. That's more than this year and more than next year. So uh, are people that optimistic and excited? And are they that sort of down on next year? They're like, it'll grow, but not that much? No, I think uh, the way that Gower Street does this is they look at each individual re- uh, release and they they put an estimate on what that film will make. In the current, in and, the current environment. Right. And so they're basically tallying all that up and saying, well, given the releases that are out, this is what we think it will make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think by, they're, they're looking at 2024 and going, well, by then we will be back to hopefully, you know. So the, many the, releases. <laughs> right, exactly. But I see a lot of stuff coming out next year that looks like big bang for your book. But, yeah, but no, I think... Uh, Mission Impossible. By the way, you saw the IMAX. Oh, yes, I did. I so, I so, why isn't Tom Cruise making an Ayn Rand movie? I mean, he's so perfect for the Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged. He's such an Ayn Rand character. That's not really a compliment. 
<laughs> it's just the, doing that stunt and the way they framed it and made him a god, a god among men. It was just, it was worth, I was like, I'm happy already. It was worth my 20 bucks to watch that. Impressive stunt though. The guy's jumping a motorcycle off a cliff and you don't see me doing that. I don't care what you offer me. I ain't doing that ever. <laughs> Pay me a hundred million dollars. I'm not doing that stunt. So full credit, <laughs> but it would be nice if you didn't make him look like a, a, a Superman among men. But anyway. But it was Do you a, uh, remember exciting. when uh, in August of 2021, I, I said, you know, Paramount Pictures came out and they said, we've got, you know, later this year, we've got uh, Top Gun and they showed the Top Gun trailer mm-hmm. in CinemaCon. And then they said, oh, and, and, and then and then we've got uh, Mission Impossible um, coming out next year. We have no footage of it whatsoever, but we do have this 13 minute feature. Oh, that's what they were showing. And they showed, now it was like between 13 and 14 minutes when, when they showed it at CinemaCon. So this was shorter. They cut it. Yeah. This was nine minutes. And so they cut out a lot of the, the back and forth mm. that made it, him look, yes, still like, like a superhero, but there was a lot more humor in it. Uh-huh. Like, for instance, they asked uh, the director, Chris McQuarrie, so you always shoot you, you know the the biggest stunt first on these movies why are you why are you sh- this is so complicated why are you shooting it first and because if we don't get this answer, there's no point in going on because <laughs> he was like well because if you know if the and he like looked at the camp like are you really like you're gonna make me say that if the guy dies doing this there's no movie <laughs> right <laughs> like <you> cut- <laughs> And so they, they they somehow managed to edit this this piece down to nine minutes, but I, I think it's still effective as oh, a, as a teaser. It is, it is. It's very effective. It does make sure. Woo! I want to see that movie. So yeah, so that was uh, that was fun. Uh, lots of trailers, and again, I wish they would just start the trailers at the start time for the movie rather than make us watch ads as well. But that's just me. Well, and North, of course the Gower is talking about worldwide box office, North American box office is going to be about seven to $8 billion uh, this year. $7.8 billion is our estimate. Uh, that's uh, $3.2 billion below. Uh, no, I'm sorry. $4 billion below the peak of uh which is 2019 which is 2019. You're talking about 2019 right so there's a lot of room to grow there that would be a 50 percent growth but north america could come back sooner than the worldwide box office because of the problems in china and russia and ukraine and eastern europe when people are worried about their energy they don't have as much time to go see a movie so uh you know there's reason to be optimistic for our local box office but we want to see the worldwide box office come back strong yeah, and I can't remember who it was that uh, I think it was uh, NATO that was talking about the number of releases or lack thereof this year because it was significant. Oh, yeah. Down. Next year looks much better. But again, there's nothing in January or February until, you know, until we get to some of those movies that you talked about. But we're looking around the world and we keep looking at uh, two cases in social justice. One is Iran, yet another actress, an actor, Tar- Tarane Ilidusti. Um, She's a major Iranian, uh, a major Iranian star. I apologize, but she's been jailed, or at least been held uh, at one point for uh, detained. I guess would be more accurate. She posted on social media that she is supporting the protesters and the uprising against the government. She showed herself earlier online without a headscarf on, and now she's been taken into custody. We don't know if she still is or not, but people are risking their lives and their careers and their family and friends to uh, protest in Iran. And 
The U.S. has an ugly history in Iran, overthrowing a democratically elected government to install a dictator. But I've always liked Iran and always uh, hope to see that country and visit it someday. So uh, good luck to her and all of them. And since we talked about it before, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp are making headlines because they have settled their lawsuits against each other. There are no more appeals planned. Uh, Johnny Depp says he's thrilled and he's going to donate the money he gets, if any, to charity. Amber Heard says, I have not made any concessions or admitted guilt. My voice is not gagged or silenced. I can speak out again in the future. We have made no deal in that way. And she compared the U.S. legal system very unfavorably to the U.K. system. Uh, so that's sort of interesting. But that case is... Where she actually... Where, where, where she where triumphed, Depp yes. Where lost. Yeah. Right, where exactly. Johnny Depp lost and she won. Fair enough. Uh, but, you know, someday there'll be a TV movie about them. Uh, that's a, that's a, you know, they're American royalty when you're a movie star. And actually, actually, um, Kurt Reeder, who works for Warner Brothers in Asia, he's mm -hmm. the head of Asia for, for Warner Brothers at Cine Asia. He, uh, gave a keynote and he was talking about, uh, you know, the culture of movie going these days mm -hmm. and, and, uh, movie criticism. And, and he talked about cancel culture and he said, you know, uh, some companies, have uh, found that they could uh, have it both ways, and they and he showed like Johnny Depp in in uh, getting canceled out of uh, the Harry Potter franchise, and then the Discovery Network doing a Johnny Depp Amber Heard series, <laughs> a real life series. <laughs> it's like, yep, that's my company. There you go. That's uh, that's all Warner Brothers, obviously, right? Yes, Warner Brothers. Yes. Now, now speaking before we we move on to uh, streaming, very briefly. To Streaming very briefly. Uh, I mentioned that National Association of Theaters, that, that NATO information. So in 2019, 105 movies were released on over 2,000 screens in the United States. So, so 2018, over 100 movies, okay. 2019. Oh, 2019 with a wide release, 2,000 plus screens, okay. Right. In 2022... 67 films. Well, of course, were we were coming back from the, yeah. In yes. 2021, yeah. it was four. <laughs> yeah, I'm making that up, yeah. but you well, know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's a, a decrease. Uh, so that is okay. only 63.8% of 2019. So right. 100 box versus from 66. Those, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So box office from those movies year to date in 2019, $9.34 billion in North America. In 2022, it's $5.97 billion, or get this, 63.9% of 2019, which is exactly the number of movies. Well, I thought the total like, 2019 box office, that's the total gross from those movies. Not, those not movies, the overall. Correct. Right, okay, because they're ignoring the extra $2 billion that come from all the other R movies right, that are not. Just, right, because it's important, right. though, because midsize and small movies really matter. That's where the biggest problem is. We're, we're going to have big movies next year, and people were willing to release some really big movies in 2022. But when you don't have a lot more movies like The Menu, when you don't have a movie like Glass Onion playing for more than a week, when you don't have these smaller and midsize movies, they're a lifeblood. They're a couple billion dollars in that total box office. And when you don't have them coming out, every week it also gets people out of the habit so it's really important to focus not just on the big movies but the mid-size and the small movies because that's where a lot of the lifeblood of the system comes along in january and february you're not getting so many big movies but you can get lots of smaller movies and that's the problem and that's going to be harder to come back from because older adults are more wary of getting back and if they don't the box office is going to be down a couple billion dollars just from the lack of all those movies that they don't pay attention to. The ones that don't matter when you look at the 100 biggest grossing movies of the year or the 50 biggest grossing movies, the movies that opened on 4,000 screens, stuff like The Menu 
and art films really, really matter? Well, the average per title, okay, mm -hmm. in 2019 of those movies. Yeah. Those, you know. 100 plus movies. movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 89.01 million dollars right. average. Okay. In 2022, that number is 89.23 million dollars. <laughs> so, and, and so they, they end their tweet by saying, more movies, please. Exactly. Well, no, you're making a great point about how we just need more product. You know, if you don't release right. the movies, you can't make box office. So the audience was there in 2022 to see movies. They just didn't have the movies for them to show. And we know right now, look how few movies there are between now and February. You know, we've got Avatar, but the big flood of movies we would normally see just isn't there. There, there was a flood of content, though, on streaming. Uh, we got our That's final true. streaming numbers uh, before the Christmas holiday. We'll be back next week, hopefully, but we're back a month now. We're looking at the week of November 14th through November 20th, and The Crown is out, and it's, it's the top of the charts overall, 1.7 billion minutes coming on the wave of the Queen's death and the period of mourning and the funeral, which was watched by a worldwide audience. Old episodes were consumed, and now the new season has come out. There was a minor ridiculous scandal. The show's going to tear her down and make the Queen look bad. I don't know why you would say that, since everything Peter Morgan has ever done has glorified the queen and made her maybe look human, but basically treated her with kid gloves, and that's exactly what has happened with this season. It's basically been respectful of all the royals and doesn't even go into Prince Andrew much. It's just Charles is waiting and the queen is older, and sometimes you're a little out of touch when you're a monarch and worth hundreds of billions of dollars, but, you know, it's basically hagiography and the new season is just the same and doing very very well it's very popular but we know in a week or two in early december it's going to get crushed by the harry megan doc which is going to be even more popular in the uk and around the world than the new season of the crown so that's an yes harry and megan who's like oh they just wouldn't they would they were hounding us they just wouldn't well, leave us alone let's I, make a documentary I'll, I'll bet you haven't watched it then because if you watch what actually was being said and done to them and their children if you hear the security experts talk about the genuine threats that they had against their lives uh, the crazies that are out there the fact that harry talked about the very first thing he saw when he went online not looking to see what people were saying but they had the birth of their son and the very first thing that they saw the, that he saw when he went online unintentionally was somebody else posting a photo of two people walking down a hospital corridor with a monkey between them a monkey walking along the floor they're holding one of them each holding a hand and the caption said oh prince harry and Meghan bring their child home from the hospital making a grotesque racial slur about <laughs> Meghan markle that's what is the first thing he sees today we've got uh, this ridiculous man uh jeremy clarkson a terrible person in general but jeremy clarkson wait, world wait, famous he, for top gear a world okay, famous yeah, host. Right. He's on Top yeah. Gear in the UK. Now is he's on Prime on Amazon on the show uh, that what do they call it now? The Grand Tour. He's hugely successful, hugely world famous, and he wrote a column in the tabloid The Sun, mocking Meghan Markle. Mocking is not really quite the word, but just speaking about her in the most grotesque, vilifying manner. This world famous man. Now you don't have to like them. You can say, oh, they've done a horrible thing for the monarchy. They're they've terrible. They're destroying the monarchy. They've betrayed their family. Whatever. But you know, he put things in there uh, saying, I hate her. Not like I hate this person or this serial killer. I hate her on a cellular level. And he and then he references Game of Thrones. You know the walk of shame that uh, Cersei had to take, where people in the town are throwing excrement at her and saying shame, shame. This horrible, horrible 
horrifying scene in Game of Thrones where this, you know, villain, however, is just treated. Spoiler so, alert. I still haven't seen Game of Thrones. Well, and I tough, probably tough, won't, tough, uh, tough. <laughs> it's been years. And he describes hoping that happens to, to Meghan Markle and just goes on and on about how vile she is. His own daughter denounced him and said, this is awful and terrible. And he said, oh, gee, I guess I made a clumsy reference to a scene in Game of Thrones. It's gone down badly with people. I'm horrified to have caused so much hurt. <laughs> yes, I can't imagine when I said how vile she wasn't a hater on a cellular level and she's the most more despicable than a serial killer that this might engender other people to speak hate about her as well so that's what they deal with all the time well, but now now this is the same guy that talked about mexican food right he's a he's a uh, vile person but yeah. he's also world famous yeah. and this is the crap they have to hear all the time whatever you think about their decision to move to america human i i there are people in public i don't like but i don't write screeds online with venomous hatred you know I just anybody doing that, it's like, I feel sorry for them. If you watch it, my mother, not a fan of Harry and Meghan, very upset that they left the royal family, huge royalty supporter. She's from Canada, an absolute monarchist. You know, why do we have to vote? Just let the queen be in charge, you know, but no, just loves the queen, loves all the monarchy, uh, gets embarrassed and upset about what Prince Andrew did and doesn't want to think about it. She really didn't like what they did and was very unhappy about that. But she actually watched a documentary said, oh, you know, I, I actually, I, I feel a little sorry for her. I understand what they were going through and what it was like for them. I didn't really understand all that. When you actually see what they went through, they're doing a documentary because there's a million things written about them and they get to make money and support themselves because that's what they said they wanted to do. Support themselves, not take public funds to live their life. And they get to put out their side of the story. So what? You know, I don't spend more than five minutes watching them, but I think if you actually watch the show, you might not be so dismissive of what they have to go through and why they might want to tell their side because people don't realize so, the crap that straight. celebrities you, go through. You don't think Harry and Meghan are a big deal? That's exactly right. Yeah, well, then it must be time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story. Of two. Well, let's... Of, of two? Okay, well... Yeah, because nothing happened this week. It's the most wonderful time of the year. No, really, you love this time of year because the Library of Congress added 25 works to the National Film Registry. Now, over, over the years, it's changed from a list of movies from the distant past, some of which Michael had never even heard of, to stuff that he's reviewed or written about when they came out, which makes him feel old. So we're gonna have to write to them, tell them to stop that. Uh, in other words, yeah, oh, yeah, I should actually read this ahead of time. In other words, Michael's old. Uh, <laughs> may, read the script, man. Uh, uh, making the list this year. What do you think it is, Michael? It's Disney's breakthrough animated film, The Little Mermaid, Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron's When Harry Met Sally, Frederick, Frederick Weissman's I Can Never Say His Name Properly, Titicut Follies, and Union Maids by the late documentary filmmaker Julia Reichert, who was, by the way, informed of the honor just a few days before she died. So that was nice. The most recent is Pariah from 2011. Michael interviewed the director, D. Reese. And the oldest is from 1898 footage of Mardi Gras, and Michael interviewed the director, oh no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Superfly, House Party, The Ballad of Georgia Cortez Gregor, with Edward James Gregorio, Olmos. Gregorio. Oh, Gregorio Cortez. Uh, and, uh, the, well, the list goes on. Here's my question. Reginald Hudlin is one of the chairs of this committee. The, the, I'm sure he politely and, abstained while they voted for House Party. 
Yeah, exactly. Big deal or big whoop. Uh, House Party is absolutely a, a, a cultural landmark. It, it deserves to be on the list, like the Friday movies. It's a absolutely reasonable, good choice to make. Uh, it deserves to be there. So no no shade for Reginald Hudlin whatsoever. It's not his fault that he's a filmmaker and made a movie that deserves to be on the list. It's a great list. Follow our link. You're going to find stuff you've never heard of and haven't seen. I'm looking forward to this short that is on Criterion called Betty Tells Her Story, uh, apparently a 20-minute feminist classic. I've never heard of it. Uh, just recently, I saw this documentary called Word Is Out, which is a gay documentary, and it's like three hours long. I'd absolutely never heard of it, and I have friends in a movie group, and I'm like, oh, you've never seen that movie? What's wrong with you? It's a great movie, because <laughs> it came up or was available somewhere, and I said, has anybody heard of this? They're like, oh my God, it's a landmark. So I just watched that movie, and it is a great film. I put it on my list of the best movies of that year in the 70s. And uh, I'm excited to see it on the list here. That's the sort of stuff you will discover along with some old favorites. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, when you're not busy watching old films or recent films, depending on. You I know, see you. Uh, I, I don't understand what you're. Oh, OK. Yes. Are you are. Do you play video games at all? Absolutely not. I, I got addicted to asteroids. That was my big video game. I loved pinball machines. That's how old I am. And then asteroids. And I said, you know what? I just spent 5,000 hours mastering asteroids. I need to stop this. So I'm not a big video game person, but I recognize it. It's cool. I've looked at stuff and it's, there's great artistry and stuff going on in video games. People do get addicted to it. And there's big news in video games because Epic Games. You know what? It, mm -hmm. If only, if only esports were a thing when you were younger, you could have been the Lionel Messi <laughs> that, of, of, of esports. Uh, you know, I. I, I I was happy for Lionel Messi. To, you know, I'm so tiresome on my on my liberal agenda. But the guy took a 25 million pound contract to shill for Saudi Arabia recently. Recently, 25 million pounds to be an ambassador and to promote Saudi Arabia. He can make a deal with anyone in the world. He can make a deal with Coca-Cola, you know, and that's junk. You shouldn't drink Coke. He's an athlete. He knows better. But at least, you know, really, Saudi Arabia, with all the money he's already made, the hundreds of millions, and the more he'll make for the rest of his life, he has to take, you know, $30 million U.S. to shill for Saudi Arabia. I like the Saudi people. I'd like to go to the country, but that is a brutal government. <laughs> That's just why, uh, you know, maybe he hangs out with Bruno Mars. I don't know, but celebrities can be very disappointing. So that really, see, see last week's, see yeah, last week's. Yeah, that, that really spoils my pleasure for seeing a, a great athlete, you know, peak his career and go out in style. It, it really is, I mean, just why? Of all the money he's made, why do you have to take that money from that country? And if you don't want to take money from the U.S. government, I don't see anybody being paid by the U.S. government to show for them, at least not above board, and they shouldn't. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't be taking money from any government, even if you like them. Like, don't do that. If you love the country, and if you want to, if you want to read about it, by yeah, the way, go yeah, go um, go promote UNICEF. Why why Saudi Arabia or the U.S. Do it for that article is in the Atlantic. Yeah. If you want to read about, oh, it. I don't know what article you're talking about, but I do know you can see articles today about Fortnite. The company behind that massive video game is Epic Games, and they have just agreed to a world-setting fine and refund, over half a billion dollars in fines and refunds in a settlement with the FTC. Unfortunately, there's no admittance of guilt from the company and all the shenanigans that they did, the grotesque stuff they did. In fact, their statement, 
you know, saying, yes, we've made this deal. It's like, oh, there are all these old rules that have been around a long time and the industry changes so much. And now they interpret these old rules in new ways. Like who can tell what's right and wrong? You know, it's so confusing, but we're happy to put this behind us. That's what they said. Uh, here's what happened. They agreed to change the default settings on their video games to protect children and teens. They are paying hundreds of millions of dollars in fines and hundreds of millions of dollars in refunds to customers. What did they do? They wrongly collected personal info on children 13 years and younger. Because who knew collecting personal data on eight-year-olds was bad? They uh, allowed kids to make in-game purchases without clear parental approval. So kids going to rack up, oh, I want And that's this. been going on for years, by the way. That's been going on for years. And people years. complain and they don't do anything to fix the problem because they didn't want to. They had default settings that allowed a live voice and text communications from anyone else in the world with your children. Even though their own employees way back in 2017 said, this is creepy. I don't, should we do this? I don't, you know, because who doesn't want to have strangers having immediate access to bully or sexually taunt your children? That seems like a good idea. And for years, people were complaining about changing those default settings. So they added a button, but they put it somewhere so it was really hard to find and push because they wanted to make it as hard as possible. When you, they tricked even adults into in-game purchases. Like when you're trying to wake up the game from the sleep mode, you can accidentally make an in-game purchase and not even realize it. And if you challenged these credit card charges, they punished you by blocking your access to the games you'd already paid for. So those are among the things that Epic was doing. Who knew that was wrong? It's like nobody has well, a Well, it just goes to show anymore. you how much money is it. It just goes to show you. I think it should be a big deal because it goes to show you how much this money is, is are in video games when they're paying a fine from the Federal Trade Commission. This isn't even the European right. uh, Trade Commission. This is just the U.S. Trade Commission. Wait until the Europeans find out about this. And is that going to uh, change their business practices? I don't think it's a big enough fine to do so. It's not big enough. $520 million. Right. You'd think that that would be such a big fine it would put them on. No. And they've also, they've got the interest that they held on to all that money for, you know, four or five years. So they'll, they'll be just fine. So the fines have to be so big that they never want to do it again. And I don't think that's what we're talking about here. But people are paying big fines and big fees and big tax write-offs and playing all sorts of games all the time because it's time for Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and, more importantly, how they affect you. And today, Sperling is going to do a deep dive, but quickly, uh, on Warner Brothers Discovery and their merger chaos and all the big new news about, did we say we write off half a billion dollars? We meant $7 billion. <laughs> There's so much stuff going on yeah. here. What's going on? Well, you might recall back in October, we talked about how Warner Brothers Discovery, they, they shelved that Batgirl movie, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, they uh, said, oh, we're going to take $2.5 billion in write-offs. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Um, they, it also uh, was too low because they're actually going to take $3.5 billion in write-offs. You know, Just what's a billion dollars between friends you, and investors? You're filling, you're filling out your taxes. I made $40 this year. I mean 40000 <laughs> Yes. It's, uh, so, and, and actually, uh, so people are wondering, wait, what's going on? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, they shelved the Batgirl movie. Now they've canceled an HBO miniseries, not miniseries, their original series. It's an HBO Max original series, Minx, M-I-N-X. And they just renewed it. So it was like, it's renewed. No, it's not. It's canceled. <laughs> well, not only is it renewed it, they had 10 days left of shooting on season two. 
So, this has nothing to do with the quality of the show. Obviously, it's all about a tax write-off or amortization costs or whatever accounting you know nonsense you want to talk about. Right. They said, you know what? Uh, raised by Wolves, F-Boy Island, Legendary, Finding Magic Mike, Head of the Class, The Time Traveler's Wife. They are going to take all of them off. And Westworld, okay, uh, Westworld, they canceled. HBO series. That's like the Sopranos practically. That's what they thought and hoped it was going to be. Right. And they, they're, they're saying, no, we're going to take it down and we're going to license it to third party ad supported streaming TV. So that's what's called fast. Right. It's a fancy word of what Free. your old TV channels or cable channels were. You went to TBS, you could watch reruns of shows from another network. Right. And so this what we have now is on demand content. So instead of having to show up at three o'clock to watch Gilligan's Island, you can go to Fubo or Roku or some other channel. I'm making up the content they would have, but maybe they would have a Gilligan's Island channel or a Brady Bunch channel. You can just watch four hours of Brady Bunch if you want. So instead, of, it's sort of like on demand, but you're going to watch with ads. You're going to watch ads, ads right? Yes. So it's called fast, free, ad-supported streaming TV. So it's fast. And it's like they're licensing out, but probably just for a year or two because they want to launch their own channels like this, don't they? Yes. Now, you mentioned the tax write-offs, and yes, it is about the tax write-offs to some extent. But here's the thing. Right now, uh, there are certain rules and regulations in place, at least in the United States, where you get to write off certain things that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to to write off. You get to expedite certain things, Mm -hmm. certain expenses uh, when you do a merger, but you only get to do that for a certain period of time. So after the merger, you can actually then go and take certain write-offs that would ordinarily not be taken. Three years later, you can't say, I've decided to put that under this umbrella too. You got to do it right away. Right. So what they would say is, that's great. Go and, you know, amateurize it out over, you know, six years. Now, if they take that tax write-off now, it will make their current earnings report look horrible. Guess what? It's already horrible. So they're already like, well, you know, one way, yeah, you know, one way to make next year's earnings report look really good is when we can say our net earnings are up 83%. Yeah. Well, that's because you took all of the losses that you assumed you'd take for the next five years and piled them into this year. So next year, when you're still down a billion dollars and you still are at a loss, but they're hoping they'll look better. Say, they're hoping they'll look better. Hoping, right. And now their stock, and right is, now, their stock is down 64% since the merger. So they're like, yes. we got to do something to make ourselves look better. Obviously they've dumped a, a gazillion shows and movies. Are they going to keep doing more? Is there any reason why they would stop? I don't think that, uh, well, yes, they can always do more, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is that the time in which they could take these kinds of losses, that is coming to an end at the end of this year. It's almost over. So they this broad kind of putting everything on the shelf at once, it probably won't be as deep or or cut. As, plus, <laughs> there's a point where it's like, what are, you, what are you putting on the shelf? Like, you got nothing left. Go to HBO Max and it's like, oh, four shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And well, what's going to happen to all thing. these shows? Well, like they're going to be licensed. Well, Minx is going back to Lionsgate. So Lionsgate produced it, and HBO or Warner Brothers Discovery said, you know what we're going to do? Lionsgate, you can have it. We know it pisses you off that we did this at the last minute and you had 10 days left of production on the second season. We're giving you the first season and the second season. We're taking the loss on it. It's yours. Go find another home for it if you can. Mm-hmm. Westworld, they said, well, we kind of own that. We can't. We can't do anything with that. We are going to license that out to other services to which 
people I know said, wait, I I wasn't done watching it yet. I, I was wa- I, I subscribed to HBO Max for that show. There aren't that many people <laughs> or who would, be, right. well, that would still be ongoing. More importantly, there are people who made that show at a prestige drama for HBO. They did not make it to be on TBS. With ads no. cut in the middle. And so that's very upsetting to the creators of the show. Suddenly, oh, you're not an HBO show anymore. Now you're just some junk flying around the universe with ads shoved into the middle right. of every episode. That's, that's, you know, when I made this show to be seen and I crafted it to be uninterrupted for eight, 57 minutes, you know, you make a show differently when there are ad breaks. It really matters. And so yes. to see it chopped up like that, that does not make artists happy. Uh, so there's a lot of chaos there and it continues at DC. For example, while Marvel continues to chug along, the takeover of DC Studios by James Gunn and Peter Safran is creating all sorts of turbulence in the short term over there. Rumors and scraps of info keep flooding the media as the follow from their hire and the plan for the future hit a fever pitch. Patty Jenkins, of course, walked away from Wonder Woman. No, she says, I did not. Uh, the Robert Pattinson Batman, that universe is being merged into the overall DC first. No, says James Gunn. It will not be. That's ridiculous. But we do know, at least, Henry Cavill is back as Superman. He filmed a top secret cameo for the Dwayne Johnson would-be franchise um. Black Adam. <laughs> After the movie opened, he proudly announced he was uh. back to fight for truth, justice, and the American way. He left his hit TV series The Witcher. They recast that role with Liam Hemsworth in a friendly passing of the baton so Henry Cavill would be free to do all that Superman stuff. That is not in doubt. Um, about that. Yeah, that's not what's going to happen. Ooh, James Gunn is personally writing a new Superman movie and Cavill is not part of it. Oof, oof, that is bad. People are going crazy. Now, if they only cared as much about the actual movies as all the backstage drama. Now, I love this when Henry Cavill, they found out, oh, he's not going to be Superman and he's, the fans are like, well, bring him back as the Witcher. Why bring him back? We love him. And like, nope, not happening. They've already cast Liam Hemsworth. He's moved on. And in fact, he's starring in and executive producing a new TV show based on the video game franchise Warhammer 40,000. I mean, what's going to happen with Warner Brothers when they want to work with talent in the future? Will anyone trust them? Well, you know, unlike Scarlett Johansson, remember when Scarlett Johansson said, oh, you, you said I was starring in a movie and that if it hit certain box office thing, I'd get $50 million. Right. And my agents thought that too. And guess what? We're going to sue you. And uh, because you put it on, on streaming, you put it on Disney Plus, so there is no box office to speak of. You damaged the movie. So therefore, I couldn't reach those, you know, the film couldn't reach those goals. Right. And you cost me 50. And they actually acquiesced, Disney acquiesced, and they reached a, a settlement. Right. Now, you can do that if you're Scarlett Johansson, because people need you more than you need them because you're a movie star. However, if you're Adil El Arbi or Bilal Falah, who are the directors of Batgirl, when people ask you, so what about Warner Brothers? Are you gonna work for them again? I mean, what do you think about them? They're like, they they don't have a name brand. They were like, oh, there's no hard feelings. We got paid. Well, they, they didn't know? lose any money on back end. It's not like they were gonna cash in and have some big, you know, they're not a no, big no, no, star. No. So there was no screwing over financially. They got paid all the money they were gonna get. Um, I no, doubt there was any escalating. Like Jenkins. If they, right. You could be Henry Cavill and you could say, these guys are complete jerks. They're jerking me around. They made me cancel a TV, get get out of a TV show that I was in, a very successful one so that I could do Superman. You know what? They're complete morons and they really, and you know what? The agents could say that, but if you notice, the agents aren't saying much on this. Do you know why? Because 
If you do that, you get dinged. Instead, what will happen is when Warner Brothers goes to, to these agents and these actors and any actor, it doesn't matter whether you've worked for Warner Brothers in the past or not, there's going to be what's called the Warner Brothers tax. It's like, oh, well, yeah, we'll do that. But I know my quote is $100,000 for three weeks. It's really now $200,000 because you're Warner Brothers and who knows what's going to happen to this. Well, and to be fair, uh, there's nobody who's going to not do work with Warner Brothers. Scarlett Johansson will probably make movies with with Disney, you know, it's like there's only four or five studios left. Uh, They don't have a lot of choice if they're willing to make a project that they want to make with the right price, you know, they're going to do it again anyway, but it it doesn't make any deal easier. Yeah. Well, not everybody can do that. I doubt, I doubt newcomers like El Arabi and, and Falah can get away with that even now. Right. Uh, you'd be surprised. All right. You'd be surprised. All right. So the, the, I mean, company- I think let's put it this way. The creatives on this and, and, and the executives who are developing them understand what they're in for in the future. Yeah. Well, uh, Warner Brothers is not dead. They'll still be able to make deals with people. It just may be a little bit more pricey. But two major talents are dead. British TV pathbreaker Gabrielle Momont. Beaumont, I believe. Pardon me. Has pathbreaker? Di- so she, she's a she pathbreaker. Don't mock okay. her. She's a female director in television. Back when that was very unusual, Gabrielle Beaumont broke down a lot of barriers. She died at the age of 80. If you've heard of it, from the 70s and 80s, she probably directed, I should say the 80s. She broke into American TV and never looked back, jumping from show to show. She did seven episodes of Hill Street Blues, the most influential TV show of all time. There, I've said it. She was the first woman to direct an episode of any Star Trek series. It was for Star Trek The Next Generation. The name of the episode? Booby trap. (laughs) I'm sure that was intentional. Her big break came when producer Aaron Spelling was feeling pressure to hire some women for Pete's sake. Come on. She came into his office with cans of film, you know, her reel, her product reel to show what I can do. She's from the UK. There's no internet. If you want people to see what you can do, you bring them film. And according to the Hollywood Reporter, he didn't even bother to look at her films. He said, can you goddamn direct? She said, goddamn, yes. (laughs) And was on a plane that night to take on a 1980 episode of Vegas. (laughs) The ABC TV series Vegas. He hired her again many more times. Dynasty, where she got her friend Joan Collins cast as Alexis. She did Heart to Heart, Hotel, The Colbys, Beverly Hills 90210, Seventh Heaven, Melrose Place, you name it. But she worked all over the place on television, so good for her. And then there's dancer Twitch, who died at the age of 40. He's a dancer and a DJ, Stephen Boss, better known as Twitch. He was one of the biggest talents to arise from the competition show, So You Think You Can Dance. He was born here in Alabama, where I'm at right now. He was a runner-up on Star Search in 2003. He was a runner-up on So You Think You Can Dance in 2008. He did small little acting and dancing roles in bigger and bigger projects, including franchises like Step Up and Magic Mike. And he was a longtime collaborator with Ellen DeGeneres. He served as their DJ and ultimately became an executive producer on her talk show, as well as an announcer and presence for her TV show Game of Games. He served as a judge on This Year's So You Think You Can Dance. He was married to Allison Holker, with whom they were raising three kids. Our in-house critic Aaron Rich says that their Instagram account is charming when you watch them dance together they were really marvelous partners and unfortunately he died of suicide which is a big problem for anyone and anywhere but there's a lot of pressure in hollywood so if you or anyone you know is having thoughts of suicide just like if you had high blood pressure or a heart murmur or high cholesterol or you're feeling weak and dizzy all the time you'd go to a doctor go to a professional or in this case call the national suicide prevention lifeline at 988 there you go you know i i always go back to uh First of all, I think there's, 
I can't remember who, who said it was the Sartre or, or Camus who said anybody who commits suicide would, uh, because of their current conditions, would, would uh, kick themselves when just two weeks later their life is completely <laughs> different. They would have made a different decision. But the, I always go back to uh, the 2006 documentary, The Bridge, which is about the Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. and how many people jump off that bridge and commit suicide from that bridge. And they just aimed a camera at the bridge and watched it like you know they got again and again yeah because what they were trying to show is put up a fence right okay just put up a fence and uh what there was actually somebody who survived that fall it's a pretty ridiculous drop almost nobody survives well i don't think uh it's 245 feet, 75 meters. I don't think, and, and you're going 75 miles per hour. Wow. Uh, 121 kilometers per hour when you hit the water. And there was a survivor, Ken Baldwin. And, and he says, he said, survivors often regret their decision in midair, if not before. He said, I instantly realized that everything in my life that I thought was unfixable was totally fixable except for one thing that he just had jumped. (laughs) Like that was the one thing now in his life that he couldn't fix. And he has been on a crusade trying to say, look, things can get bad, but that's not the way to solve the problem. Yeah, that doesn't solve any problem. And, you know, getting treated, more importantly, getting treated for depression is no different than getting treated for high blood pressure. It's nothing to be embarrassed by. You're like, oh, I can't get help. Or it doesn't mean you can't get help or it doesn't mean there's no point in help. There is. Just try and reach out to someone. And reach out to us. You can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter, at least for now, until apparently, I don't know, maybe we won't, we'll get kicked off or banned. He doesn't care suspended. what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Don't worry true. about it. At Showbiz Sandbox is our handle on Twitter. Uh, or you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can find our page. Now, you can also find us on any one of these podcast aggregators that are running around these days. iTunes, the Google Podcast Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. You can subscribe to us or, or in some cases, rate and review the show. Links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as all those ways to contact us or subscribe to the show. That can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz can be found online, and every week he's got a new and exciting website for us. What is it this week, Michael? It's not funny. It's speakingofsuicide.com. Is that really yeah, a, a, yeah. a... It's a oh, resource yeah. for people well, who want help. Well... Uh, we'll put, put a link to it in the show notes. It's already there. Uh, ah, okay. Well, some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Uh-huh.